I'm here with Monsignor Arthur Calkins, a uh, Mariologist, and you've written extensively on Mary and spoken about her. And I, I just wanted to ask a few questions about uh, co-redemption and mediatrix of all graces. But let me just begin by saying, I remember a handful of years ago, I was preaching on John 19. It just came up in the cycle due to feast days and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it finally hit me, what a big moment in the gospel this is. Mm -hmm. His last few words, he entrusts Mary to John. But even more, he entrusts John to Mary. Mm -hmm. Because the first words are, woman, mm -hmm. behold your son. Now, if he had been desiring above all just to take care of his mother as he's leaving the world, he might have said to the disciple, behold your mother. But he said instead, woman, behold your son. And when I was a little boy, the good sisters who taught me used to insist that in the days of Jesus, it was quite acceptable to call your mother woman. <laughs> I've since discovered that was not the case. <laughs> and right. we notice in the Gospel of John that Mary appears only twice in chapter 2 at Cana and chapter 19 at the crucifixion. Both times he calls her woman. And this is because she is the new Eve. And the role of Eve next to Adam is secondary and subordinate because Adam is the head of the human race, not Eve. And a number of the fathers of the church held that if Adam had not bitten, and you can make bitten anything you want, uh, original sin would not have entered into the world. And when I was a little boy, I used to think to myself, uh, this is a bum rap. Why should we be stuck with something that we never did? Mm -hmm. But it was because of a lack of understanding of what the fallen state is. And I often argue that the Immaculate Conception was not only ultimately desirable and appropriate, but it was necessary because if, as Pius XII would say in Fulgen's Corona in 1953, even if for a moment Mary had been under the dominion of the enemy, he could always brag about that. And there would be something less than totally graced in her existence. You know, we think today, I mean, we have these obvious examples of a woman who is taking drugs during her pregnancy and see the awful results that could follow from that. Almost definitely, physically, it's going to have an effect on the baby. And if there is, even for a while, uh, a moment of rejection, even though she rejects abortion, that will have an effect, I'm convinced on the child. Therefore, in order to have the perfect savior, the perfect, that he would have the perfect human nature, I'm convinced that it was necessary 
that she be filled with grace from the first moment of her existence. Uh, the exegete Ignace de la Poterie, have you ever come across mm -hmm. him? He's got, he wrote a brilliant book entitled Mary in the Mystery of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. He's got articles there that are better than almost anything when you could find about, uh, and he argues that kekaritomene, this Greek word, it's a perfect passive participle in the aorist, which he, he translates, or at least his translators translate him into English as having been graced, having been transformed by grace. And again, I'm not a, a Greek expert. God gives me often what I, know, what I need, when I need it, to the extent that I need it and not a drop more. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is, uh, I think they call it an optative that so uh, it it ends in omicron omega o, o. Mm -hmm. and so there is a leuko o which means to blind and this one means to grace to transform by grace so full of grace is not a bad translation mm -hmm. but and he says, well, you can't use it just to justify the immaculate conception because even though it's in aorist, it means sometime in the past. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that from the first moment of existence. Mm. But on the other hand, it can certainly justify that. Mm. So uh, this is so that we would have the perfect savior, so that he would have the perfect human nature. And so... Some theologians, not all, but I would certainly number myself among them, uh, would say that Mary contributed to the hypostatic union, which is another word for the incarnation, okay? He, uh, she contributes by her yes to what the father needs in order that his son should become man. And even going a step farther, and I'll return from that, but in one of the uh, apparitions of St. Joseph in these apparitions of Our Lady of America, uh, St. Joseph says, I was not conceived without original sin. And Pius XII uh, had said in Fulgen's Corona, this privilege belongs only to Mary. Mm -hmm. But he says, the moment after my conception, I was confirmed in holiness. And even though he did not contribute biologically uh, to the incarnation, he was the other person who had the greatest conceivable uh, impact on the uh, development of the human nature of Jesus. And there are some of these whacks who have argued in the past Mary was an unwed mother, which is total nonsense. Mm -hmm. They were, they weren't just betrothed, they were married. Even though the second step of taking her into his home mm -hmm. uh, didn't take place. So there are some commentators, and I can't remember exactly where I read this, whether it was in Cornelius Alapide, he was a great Jesuit exegete mm -hmm. about five, 400 years ago or so, mm -hmm. or whether it was someplace else that it was said, and this is 
I think, very correct, that the that Jesus was the virginal fruit of the virginal marriage of Mary and Joseph. Otherwise, as the other person who didn't contribute biologically, but more than any other had influence on the formation of human nature of Jesus and uh, the father image that he needed. And it was from Joseph he learned how to be a male. So Joseph, I believe, also belongs to the hypostatic order, which means that even in the um, in the hierarchy of living being, just in the strictest sense, we have God, angel, pure spirits, angels, men, animals, and plants. The enemy is furious that the Son of God made himself lower than the angels. But by the same token, uh, Mary, by virtue of contributing to the hypostatic union, is a member of the hypostatic order, which makes her queen of the angels, and also the one who crushes the head of Satan. And I believe that Joseph also uh, is in that order, even though there's a proportion. So. Uh, in the so-called earthly trinity, the Holy Family, mm-hmm. there's only one divine person. This is an analogy. So that's Jesus, the second person. Mary, although in terms of history, she has been referred to before as spouse of the Father, spouse of the Holy Spirit, and even spouse of the Son, understood in a totally non-sexual uh, understanding. But uh, if she is particularly uh, identified, especially by Montfort and by the Franciscans, as spouse of the Holy Spirit, where does that leave Joseph? He's the image of the Father. Mm. He, the, in the French school of spirituality, they call him the shadow of the Father. So, all right, uh, perhaps I've gone off too far on Joseph, but it, to me it all makes sense. Mm. And so Joseph is above the angels too. In Apparitions of Our Lady of America, he's flanked by angels. And I have a priest friend who receives words, which, again, is perfectly private. Um, And he trusts me for discernment. But he talked to me recently about receiving a word that the Lord was giving him, was sending him the angels of Joseph. I said, yes, Joseph's above the angels too. Mm -hmm. Have you come across Insinu Jesu by any chance? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I just um, read parts of it. I yeah, well, there. Yeah. It seems like Joseph, too, right now is is coming to the forefront in devotion and things. Yes. So he's been a great reclaiming. We need but, yeah. him. Yeah. You know, in a world where the roles of men and women are totally confused, etc. Yeah. And the man closest to Jesus. There was a brilliant Jesuit uh, by the name of Francis Phylas, F-I-L-A-S. I'm not sure how they pronounce it, but I've heard Phylas. He wrote at least six books on St. Joseph. His last one was in, I think, 1961. And the Daughters of St. Paul published it, but they have no rights to republish it until it's, I don't know how long, out of, you know, print and goes into common domain. But 
He was, uh, I disagree with him on some points, but he was an extraordinary man. It's very hard to find now, but um, you may have it in your library. Mm -hmm. I don't know how good a library you have or how good a library mother had here. Right. Yeah, we don't have a very extensive. Okay. Uh, anyway, back to Mary. So, from the apostolic era, sub-apostolic at least, she is already referred to as the new Eve. Right. Uh, we have Justin Martyr calling her that, and he dies around 150. Right. We have Irenaeus writing definitively about this. And he dies about 202, no one's true of it, the exact day. And in his Adversus Heresis, he, he speaks of her at some length as the advocate of Eve. Mm -hmm. And while Eve was the mother, uh, that Eve was called the mother of the living, but she's more the mother of the dead, and that Mary is the mother, True mother of the living. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that Irenaeus sat at the feet of Polycarp, famous martyr, mm -hmm. who sat at the feet of John. So that even a scholar like Jaroslav Pelikan, who was a Lutheran and then went uh, uh, Orthodox, it is entirely believable that this is apostolic teaching about Mary as the new Eve. So as the role of Adam and Eve was not exactly on a par. Um, even the vesting prayers are sometimes mistranslated. I'm trying to remember which one it is. Um, I think it's for the alb. Um, and I should know the Latin straight off, but I don't think I could pull it up right now. But it, it talks about the deceit of, uh, of our first parents. But in, in the Latin, it's primi parentis, which is singular. It's of our first parent. Yeah. But so Mary, as Eve was secondary and subordinate, so the council, and they, they fought over this, I think you heard me say this mm -hmm. about, oh God knows, mm -hmm. it went into eight redactions, that um, Mary is, the, they quote her being the new Eve and what Eve destroyed Mary Unt the knot that Eve tied, Mary untied. Right, right. But I know you touched on it. And how, how do we understand her role? Because it's it's a different relationship than Adam and Eve. Like you mm -hmm. said, it's not a marriage relationship. Right, it's not a sexual role. Right. So, it, But they stand at the head of a new human race, a new humanity. That's right. And you see, Eve is called a helpmate. Now, uh, Johnette brought this Greek word up, which I couldn't understand. I'll have to check it. Um, that, you know, they are equals, but they have different missions, different roles. And so we're talking about the role of Mary, the munus. And that in the council, at least four places, clearly teaches that she participated in the sufferings of Jesus that she consented to them and that she united herself with him in suffering for the redemption of the world. Now, John Paul II, in his um, apostolic uh, exhortation, um, 
what is it called? Dolores. Salvifici Dolores. Salvifici Dolores, thank you. Points out very correctly and helpful for Protestants that what Jesus did on the cross is all sufficient. But that God willed that just as Eve contributed to the fall, so Mary contributes to the redemption. And so he, even after explicitly saying that, he then goes on to say, she made a contribution to Mm -hmm. the redemption. So that just as she made a contribution to the incarnation by willing all that God willed for her, which certainly includes her mission, so she also willed all that God willed for her to do as the new Eve. And I wonder, I mean, obviously, because this is the first time Adam and Eve are talking about natural generation. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about the spiritual regeneration mm-hmm. of humanity. So the virginal aspect of the new Eve, the new Adam, is allowing right for the Holy Spirit to work. That This mm-hmm. is God's work initiative. Mm-hmm. You know, so God's involved now in a more profound way, even though yes. she conceived by the help of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Eve yes, did. Right? Obviously, Mary yeah. couldn't do it herself. Right, right, right. But she was open to it. Yeah. And I remember as a kid thinking, oh, what's so big about this? You know, God did it. But he waited for her. Yes. You know, I heard a priest say the other day, too, that she, and I love this way of saying it, she she continued saying yes. Yes. That took her to the foot of the cross. Absolutely. Where she lovingly consented. Right. right. And... Um, John Paul II, in one of his, I think, what's the name of, I think he did an encyclical um, on life. Oh, yeah, Evangelium Vitae? I think so. And toward the end of it, he explicitly says that she never uh, withdrew the fiat, Mm. even unto Calvary. Yeah. And there's even a further um, argument. Have you ever come uh, over uh, to look at the writings of Blessed Concepcion Cabrera de Armida, Conchita? Right. She argues very strongly that uh, the soledad, the solitude of Mary, she continued to experience until she was taken to heaven. So that her co-redemptive suffering lasted longer than Jesus. Hmm. Now his was, you know, virtually infinite. Right, right. Um, And that's true like in the natural order, right? A parent mm -hmm. loses a child, Mm -hmm. that's always with them. Mm -hmm. You never completely get over that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I wonder too, is it so, and I don't know what the theological principle is, but she gave her flesh at the incarnation, at the Annunciation, giving her flesh to mm-hmm. to the Word. And isn't that right there a flat-out contribution to objective redemption? Of course. <laughs> so, of course. Uh, an argument for the spiritual maternity is primarily derived from the cross, and that's what JP2 did pretty exclusively. 
But a few times, he also admitted, which he had to, that there were two phases of her spiritual maternity. And the first was uh, becoming pregnant. Because as Paul teaches that Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church, that means she couldn't just be the mother of the head. Right. She also had to be the mother of the body. I think right. that was an argument of St. Ambrose, and it's right. been repeated. He did it a couple of times in my book, Totus Tuus, I bring it out. But he went to Calvary in uh, 1925-27 almost constantly. And for years, as I would um, chronicle him on John 1925-27, uh, I would be amazed at how he kept besting himself. I thought, you know, he can't top this. This is incredible. <laughs> but he did. And even if you admit he had ghostwriters, which I'm sure he had to do, especially right. when he hit his prime, I would say, in about 88, that year there were four volumes of the Insegnamenti. I have them all. So I note them explicitly, not mm -hmm. just taking something from a, uh, something from the internet, but you know, here it is in the original language and the right. insegnamenti, right. and then usually I'd go to the translations of L'Osservatorio Romano in English. Um, he kept topping himself yeah. extraordinarily. Uh, it, it was amazing. Let me just find you something that was one of my last comments with Johnette. It's uh, homily or no, I think it's a catechesis that he gave in 83, which you might not remember, but it was the, um, the Jubilee of the Redemption. Yeah. Because in 1933, Pius XI declared a year of the redemption, assuming that mm. Jesus was born in the year zero and died in the year 33. There are a lot of arguments against that now. But so JP2 just decided, well, it's 83, 50 years later, so we'll do another year of the redemption. Uh, it's quite amazing. This was just part of a catechesis he gave in 83, and I'm sure that I didn't discover in it then what I've subsequently discovered. So he said, this is just part of it, 11th of May, 1983. Asking Mary to treat the beloved disciple as her son, Jesus invites her to accept the sacrifice of his death that's co-redemption, mm -hmm. as the price of this acceptance. In other words, spiritual maternity flows from co-redemption. Right. And actually, Benedict taught this too. I, I've run across a lot of people who can't grasp it, but this is what he says. As the savior of all mankind, he wants to give Mary's motherhood the greatest range. He therefore chooses John as the symbol of all the disciples whom he loves, and he makes it understood that the gift of his mother is the sign of a special intention of love with which he embraces all who want to follow him as disciples, that is, all Christians and all men. Besides giving this motherhood an individual form, Jesus manifests the intention to make Mary not merely the mother of the disciples taken as a whole, but of each one of them in particular, as though each were her only son 
who was taking the place of her only son with a capital O. The universal motherhood in the spiritual order was the final consequence of Mary's cooperation in the work of her divine son. Right. A cooperation begun in the fearful joy of the Annunciation and carried through right to the boundless sorrow of Calvary. This is what the Second Vatican Council stressed when it showed that the role of Mary was destined to fulfill in the church, then he makes a reference to Lumen Gentium, Mary's mediation constitutes a singular sharing in the unique mediation of Christ, which does not become in the least overshadowed, but rather endures as the central fact in the whole work of salvation. So one of his very clever moves in Redemptoris Mater, and it took me years of reading it to, to fully begin to grasp it, he talks about her mediation as mediation in Christ. Mm. So it's not as if they're on the same basis, which is clearly not yeah. true. She is the mediatrix with the mediator. He is the mediator between God and man. Mary doesn't usurp that role. Mm. But Pius X, in his encyclical Adiem Illum of 1904, commemorating the proclamation of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, says, in effect, that she is the reparatrix of, a, of the lost world, that she <clears throat> suffered with him, that his blood and her tears brought about our redemption, and therefore she becomes the mediatrix of all grace, not the source, which is always in Jesus, but the channel mm -hmm. through which graces come to us. Now that was something that they just couldn't touch at the council. Right. And I think they put in that reference to um, 1 Timothy 2 about the uh, Jesus is the One mediator. Medi mediator between God and mm -hmm. men. And they, I think they actually quoted it three times to try to placate Protestants. Right. But they didn't explain it. Right. Um, but I discover more and more that he insists that the spiritual maternity flows from the co-redemptive work. I did an article on that. I could send you a bunch of these if you're interested. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that all the work, sufficient theological work has been done. That was my other question. Because I'm wondering if that could be a legitimate holdup for the proclamation of a dogma that the theology hasn't been sufficient. Again, I think I may have mentioned Monsignor Brunero Garodini a little earlier. He's the one who has these questions about council teaching. And uh, he argues as a first-class theologian that the work in effect has been done, that it is proxima fidei, yeah. that it could be declared. Now, uh, in the case of the last two Marian dogmas, the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption, both Blessed Pius IX and Venerable Pius XII did write to the bishops of the world, telling them that they were considering proclaiming the dogma of the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption and asking for input from the bishops. But I don't think that is a conditio sine qua non. I don't think they have to, but it makes mm -hmm. sense. Right. But the, I think it's pastor fidei, 
of um, the First Vatican Council states that the Roman pontiff may declare something, a dogma of the faith to believe by all, um, non autem ex consensu ecclesiae, not, however, uh, on the basis of the consent of the whole church, but how is it? Excese non autem ex consensu ecclesiae, which means he could do it on his own. Mm-hmm. I do, uh, do you know anything about the apparitions of Our Lady of All Nations at Amsterdam? Just a little bit. Okay. Uh, well, she says, in effect, that the chaos in the church and in the world will not stop until Mary is recognized as co-redemptrix, mediatrix, and advocate. Mm-hmm. And she keeps telling, go to the theologians. They will know. Mm. Now, it was long after I got a doctorate, and I was still thinking, well, where are these books? But it's in all the, <laughs> all of the major Mariological manuals that, that are there. And uh, there is this fascinating figure, and I'm going to try to get two of his books um, translated. I mean, no, get them photocopied. Mm-hmm. They're in Dayton at the Marian Library. And they are both written by Cardinal Henri Marie Lepicier, L E P I C I E R. He had been the prior general of the Servites. He filled all kinds of roles in his life. Even as a young priest, Leo XIII chose him to be the executor of all of his pontifical acts. That's before the Acta Apostolice Sedis were set up under Pius X, although there was the Acta Sancte Sedis earlier. And he was the first to hold a chair of Mariology in Rome at the Propaganda Fide. Um, So he wrote two books, I thought they were pamphlet-like, they're huge, um, on proposing the dogmatic definition of Mary co-redemptrix. And from the co-redemption flows the mediation. That's Mm -hmm. obvious. Um, So the first one he wrote in, I believe he wrote it in French, And then quite a few years later, maybe in the 20s, he wrote another one in Italian. They have them at the Marian Library. I have not managed to get them on interlibrary loan yet. I'm still hoping to do that one. I don't know whether I live long enough to to read these and document them, but I mean, he was proposing this a long time ago. uh Let me ask, doesn't it turn on that, that she contributes to the objective redemption, that what we do after the fact, we're interceding for others, we're offering stuff up, we're uniting it with Christ. She contributes in the event itself, right? And isn't that's that's teaching of John Paul II right. that not only did she can do it in octu primo, as right. the Scotus say, uh-huh. we can do it in octu secondo, right. that is applying the merits of the redemption. Uh-huh. But um, I think this is this is Pius the Tenth in. Um, in Adium uh, Illum. And so John Paul II, in one of his Marian catechesis, he gave 70. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very valuable and they're out of print, basically. I mean, mm-hmm. you can find them on the internet and put them all together and 
mm-hmm. and publish them. But it's sad that Daughters of St. Paul did it, but they let it go out of print. Yeah. Um, he says, in effect, that it, the active collaboration and the work of the redemption, as it is called, kind of begins at the beginning of the second millennium after the year 1000. Although you have the earlier teaching on the new Eve and mediation in general. But he says, we can do exactly as you're saying. We, but Mary did it in octo primo at the time and as mother. Right. So we can apply the fruits of the redemption. Yeah. She contributed to them. But that's absolutely correct. And you hear some of the saints talk about, maybe John Paul too, but like sacrificing our maternal rights or... Yeah. What is that? Is that at the heart of that objective? Well, it is one of the ways of describing uh, the... Uh, because the council uses that, you know, mm-hmm. that she gave up her maternal rights. Uh, and that is basically a quote from... Um, St. Bernard? By, no, it's... Um, he might have said something yeah, like yeah. that, but it's it's a deliberate quote without being cited yeah. of Benedict the Fifteenth, wow. inter sodalitia. Wow. She he says she almost died for us mm. in sacrificing her maternal rights. Right. So I preached um, on the feast of the Annunciation in Pittsburgh, and very often uh, when I preach. I'm not always sure where I'm going to end up. <laughs> oh, you don't have a written text? No. You, uh. <laughs> and I remembered this experience that I had, and I talked about it, and I know it made a big impact. Um, were you the one who mentioned the causeway in New Orleans? Mm-hmm. No. Well, there is this 24-mile bridge. I've been across, on it. Okay, yeah. Lake Pontchartrain. Right. Now, Lake Pontchartrain is a brackish body of water, so yeah. it's part salt, part... Um, fresh and it's only maybe 20 feet deep so it's very shallow Um, but there was a case which would have been between 74 and 78 when I was in a particular parish and they have a huge hospital there which now has tentacles out (laughs) all over Louisiana and maybe outside of the state it's called Oxner Foundation it's very famous and they are at the foot of Causeway Boulevard, which isn't just on the shore of the lake. It goes down a bit, but almost the Mississippi River. And I was on a parish to the right, and Oxner Foundation was to the left as you're coming off Causeway Boulevard. And the, the uh, chaplain was- Is that St. Clements? Huh? Is that St. Clements? St. Clement of Rome. No, there was, this was St. Agnes. It's on oh. uh, Highway 90. Okay. Yeah, it's called Jefferson Highway. Oh yeah, that's my 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 mom in that parish. Oh, Saint Agnes. Yeah, it's right on the like the back of the Mississippi almost. That's right. Yeah, I used yeah. to walk to walk through the levee there often. Sometimes ride a bike. No, I don't think I rode bike there. Yeah, oh. I was there from seventy four to seventy eight. Oh wow, she would have been before that. But yeah. she went to school there. Yeah. yeah, they finally closed the school, but you know it was a great place for a long time. Um, so, the chaplain at Oxner lived there. There were four priests while I was there. Nobody would have that many in New Orleans anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the, the chaplain was away and I was called to the hospital. And it all happened so fast, I couldn't get it all straightened out in my brain, obviously. And I was ushered into this room, maybe in the emergency suite. 
and something I'd never seen before. Uh, it was a teenager. He might have been 18. I don't know whether he was 20. And the whole head was bandaged. Mm. You know, I, I, I guess I couldn't take it all in. So the first thing, I, the closest I could get was about up here to anoint mm. him and then on his hands. And afterwards, two doctors said to me, Father, would you come in with us? We're keeping him artificially on, alive, but uh, he's, I don't know whether they said he was clinically dead. That's always dangerous to say, because no one knows when the soul leaves the body. Yeah. But they said, we would like to harvest some of his organs. Mm -hmm. And would you go in and talk with his mother with us? Well, she went into hysteria. She just screamed and shrieked and pounded the table. Mary's the total opposite. Right. Mothers do have certain rights, although certainly I wouldn't say absolute. But she stood at the foot of the cross. She stood. And at one stage in the church's life, there was a, a move, I think it was maybe in the 15th, 16th century, maybe even a little later, to celebrate a feast of the swoon of Mary. Right. And it was knocked out. <laughs> she stood, and which faith. already says a lot. And faith. Yeah. yeah. And there's something like visceral about a mother's suffering. There's, and I don't know the phenomenology of it, how to describe it, but I'm wondering if that is key to the doctrine, that there's just something special that everybody approaches it with reverence. Yeah. You know, that it's- Well, I mean, even, I did a paper once, uh, in honor of a great priest who was my mentor in many ways in Mariology, Peter Damien Failner, he edited nine volumes called Mary at the Foot of the Cross. Mm -hmm. I contributed to every one of them. They're virtually an encyclopedia of co-redemption. Mm -hmm. And one of the volumes, I think it was volume seven, is called Mediatrix Because Co-Redemptrix. Mm -hmm that the mediation definitely flows from her active collaboration in the work of the redemption. My argument is that the co-redemption leads to the spiritual maternity, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And even in a weaker minor key, Benedict says the same thing. Now, one of the things that Peter Damien would argue is that Trent had finally cleared everything out of the way that the dogma could have been proclaimed at Trent. But because they didn't, it took 300 years longer. Right. And I'm further absolutely convinced, even without any of these private revelations, mm -hmm. that until it happens, the church and the world are going to continue in ever worse chaos. Mm -hmm. I do believe that Mary is key and God wants it. Uh, and the longer we dally around, the harder it's going to be. And... Uh, we know it too. It's just what we were talking about at dinner with the two ladies. It's uh -huh. like we talk about the mother's role as being like the glue for the family. Mm -hmm. Everybody describes our current age as a coming apart. Absolutely. So maybe this greater role of right. Mary and, is a and glue. also, I don't know that there need be any further dogma about Saint Joseph. Uh, I do believe that there is justification to venerate the three hearts of Jesus, mm -hmm. Mary, and Joseph. Mm -hmm. uh, I've done some studies on this. They've been well. A major one was published years ago in a German uh, volume. But um, 
the, the basic argument on behalf of the cultus of the hearts of Jesus and Mary. And this is uh, from all I can gather that they, they rest on the fact that however you want to describe the spiritual bodies, they are physical bodies mm-hmm. and that their hearts are still pumping in heaven. Mm-hmm. Even if you say, oh, heaven's not a place, it's a state. Well, okay, you take that argument, do what you want with it. But uh, I think the biggest obstacle would be uh, there's never, I don't think there'll ever be a dogma of the assumption of Joseph. I just don't think there's mm-hmm. sufficient basis, right. but I do think it's entirely plausible. And uh, with Father Sebastian last night, I had a wonderful conversation with mm-hmm. him and uh, Father Mitch mm-hmm. um, that uh, Francis de Sales, whom I have great, great admiration for, and as a teacher on the hearts of Jesus and Mary and spiritual mm-hmm. life, etc. And he believed, as a doctor of the church, that Joseph was assumed mm-hmm. into heaven. Mm-hmm. And even John the Twenty-Third, on uh, an Easter, Easter Monday, which in Italy they call um, Il Giorno del, dell'Angelo, the day of the angel. Mm-hmm. It's a big public holiday. And... Uh, John the 23rd mentioned this one verse that's only found in Matthew, that at the moment of the the death of Jesus, there was an earthquake, you know, which ripped the Holy of Holies, uh, the curtain from the holy place, and that many holy people were seen in, uh, risen from their tombs in Jerusalem, and that Joseph might well have been among Mm. them. No one has ever claimed to have a first-class relic of Joseph right. or to point to the place where he's buried. Right. Right. Uh, so Cardinal Burke, by the way, is a great, great fan of, of the Three Hearts. Mm-hmm. And uh, both in Itapiranga, in the Amazon, and in these Our Lady of America, he calls for... Um, uh, devotion to his most in one place he says the most pure heart in the other place he says his most chaste heart Mm. and i remember as a kid jesus mary and joseph i give you my heart no that's another thing but it's heart of jesus i adore thee heart of mary i implore thee heart of joseph pure and just in these three hearts i place my trust Mm. and cardinal burke has on the ceiling of his chapel in his apartment in rome the three hearts Mm. Um, I, I very much believe that too. And I think it's quite possible for the church to simply allow that cultus without uh, declaring the assumption of Joseph. Right, right. Um, because I, I, and I do think, I, and I've said this several times and I've written it, I think the greatest thing that, Car- that uh, Francis did was declare the year of Joseph. Yeah, and our diocese. And we need him so, yeah. so much. Right. We men, and fathers, and what's one of the biggest wounds of most men? Mm-hmm. The father wound. Right, right. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with us, and it's getting later. Yeah. <laughs>